Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to the last Friday in February. I'm so glad you're here. We have a great show in store for you today. My friend Jenny Allen is back on the show. She's been here a handful of times and it's always fun to sit down and chat with my real life friends. But I tell you, sometimes I have to kind of act more professional. Like I just want to catch up with Jenny and how are you doing? What's happening in your life? Even though we text a lot, but I wanted to be professional and bring you a phenomenal show and that we did so much so that I didn't even like really introduce Jenny. We just started talking. But if you don't know who Jenny Allen is, she's the founder of a women's organization called If Gathering, which good news if gathering is next weekend and stay tuned to the end of this episode because she tells us something that they haven't told anyone about what's happening and it's going to blow you away you're going to want to be a part of it i'll be at if gathering i love this conference every single year it is a really great place where people are just pointed to jesus and the truth of the gospel if you want to watch which you can watch go to if 2022.com that's if 2022.com and you can watch it Jenny has a new book it just released this week called Find Your People, Building Deep Community in a Lonely World. And if you are anything like Jenny and I, you know that friendships can be difficult for lots of reasons. A lot of us have been hurt by that. And Jenny and I talk about that today. You guys, I want to ask you a favor. If you're listening today, I would love it if you shared the happy hour with your people. Do that on social media, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Tag me because I want to see it. And then I'm going to pick somebody to send some of my favorite things to. I don't know what it will be, but I'll find something that I'm loving and I'll send it to you and I'll send you a copy of Jenny's book as well. You guys, my Instagram is at Jamie Ivy, and you can find me on Facebook or wherever it is. Tag me that you're listening to the show. Share this episode with your friends. Find your people, people. Okay, here's my conversation with Jenny Allen. Jenny Allen, welcome to the happy hour. Jamie, Ivy, I love being with you all the time, hanging out. Like having a real happy hour? Yeah. Well, Jenny, this is like your third or fourth or fifth time on the happy hour. I feel embarrassed. I'm like, quit having me. Just stop saying, I mean, it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, it's fun to have friends on. So you were like one of my very first guests. You were number 12, which oh, yeah. is weird. And I was going back and listening to an episode just yesterday of number like 30 something. And it hurt my ears. It was so disastrous. And so I can only imagine what number 12 is like. I totally disagree with that. I felt like you were so good from the very beginning and you were doing it before anybody was doing it. So, you know, whatever. You've only gotten better, I'm sure. You're kind. I always thought you were good at this. Well, welcome to the happy hour. And the reason we're having you back is you have a book that just released a few days ago. And so congratulations. Thanks. Find your people building deep community in a lonely world. Jenny, the fun about this book is talking to you is that like we're people like we're in community. One together. Of people. <laughs> yep. We're in pretty deep right now. Should we tell them? Yeah, what go we do? for it. You tell them. Okay. So we're in something called a confessional community. That it is, sounds so scary. <laughs> it sounds, it is so scary. Me and Jamie go on this retreat with a few other leaders. Jessica Honecker invited us and we go on this little retreat with Kurt Thompson. A lot of people, I'm sure you've had him on. Yep. And we go together and we're supposed to share our deepest, deepest souls. And Jamie and I both probably were the ones that were like, oh. <laughs> And I was so happy you were there, Jamie, because there are so many people in our group that are like made for sharing their whole soul. Like Uh Jessica 
oozes vulnerability. Like it's so easy for her. I'm just like, Lindsay told me later, she said, Jenny, your arms were crossed and you had a scowl on your face. Like (laughs) I was like, I know, because it's so painful for me to be vulnerable. I love y'all being vulnerable. It is so hard for me to do it. You actually talk about it in this book. When This book is all about friendship and finding your people. And you wrote this book, I'm guessing, out of overflow of having to find new people. You and Zach relocated to Dallas. When did y'all move? We moved to Dallas four and a half, five years ago. Okay. From Austin, which is how I knew you. And you had to literally refine your people. And you talk about that in your book. You're like, I want you to be vulnerable with me, but I don't want to have to be vulnerable with you. Probably my first quality trait. And I've definitely lost some friends over it, but yes. Okay. Well, I want to ask you this. You said that we went into this confessional community and both of us, I would agree. Both of us were the two that were like, I don't know what we're doing. This makes me nervous. I'm not saying anything. I have my reasons. What are your reasons? My reasons are it's gone badly for me. In fact, Mm. what's really kind of sad and tender is I actually used to be really good at this. And then I was a pastor's wife and many, many things that I shared in confidence were used against me, not just gossiped about or shared too much, which is hard and lots of people have been through, but to even use it as ammunition to criticize and to hurt my leadership. And these were things I said, what I thought was a safe place. And so that happens enough and you get really, really guarded. And so I would say I went from being very transparent in my life to being very careful. And even now it's still hard for me. I also think I don't love feeling negative feelings. Like my initial thought is what's the point? You said that that weekend, you said, what's the point of this? I've probably already written most of that book, which is so sad. I mean, I'm so broken, y'all. But it's still a lie that I think the enemy puts in my head. Now, what I know to be true is that it actually brings physical healing like to your brain. Your neuropathways open up when you're vulnerable and someone's empathetic and listens to you, right? That's Kurt's whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so we do that. And it's been true, right? I do it and I test it again and it works and I feel whole and I feel healthier. And I feel like my shoulders relax and I feel known and I feel seen. And then you're able to pray for me and cheer for me and struggle with me and be present with me, which you have done so well this year, Jamie, I'm so grateful for you and in our friendship in general. And so it's worth it. It just feels like, why is it so hard? But it Mm. is so hard. I don't think we're alone in that, by the way, there were plenty of people there that found it hard as well. You know, I love being your real friend and then reading this book, Find Your People, because you are pretty like open with how, okay, I'm writing a whole book about this and it's still really, really hard. And here's how I have really, really failed in this area. Like you would even say like, I'm telling you to do this. And then here's how I failed at this. And here's how I'm trying. And let's do this together. It just felt so safe. Oh, thank you. I wanted everybody to know that I know that it's hard. I remember my publisher said, Jenny, I'm just going to be really candid with you. When I'd pitched the idea and we would all decided this is your next book. And she said, I'm going to be really honest with you that I look at your life and I'm like, you have no problem making friends and you have no problem keeping friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, she goes, you're going to have to convince me. And I was like, that won't be hard. <laughs> tell you my stories. And it was hard for me because it's the most embarrassing moments. This probably was one of the most painful books to write mm. because I was embarrassed at how bad I've been at this. And I had to share those stories. And then to be leading everybody along, I never could be a hypocrite. In fact, the first chapter of the book, when you open it, it says I had a panic attack. Well, the panic attack 
was because I felt like a fraud. Like I felt mm-hmm. like I'm doing this and I'm losing my people. I'm writing about this and I'm like, my people feel like they're growing further and further back. And I'm going to be interviewing and on stages and talking about this. And the people in the book aren't even going to be there anymore. That was my fear. And it was like this light that was blinking, you know, you're going to be a fraud. And I think that's part of this, that it's such a hard subject because mm-hmm. there's so much pain attached to this. This is something that everybody's going to be prickly about mm-hmm. because even if you're good at this, which I think very few people feel like they're good friends or feel like they're great at this. Mm. Even if you are, you still have a history of hurting people, of them hurting you, because that's how this goes. And so the setup from the beginning is not that anyone's an expert, but it's that there's a way to do this in the messy and to do it where we're imperfect together and we disappoint each other. In fact, that's how it's supposed to go. When you read scriptures about it, all the scriptures, all the one another's that are in the Bible, it's encourage one another, admonish one another, forgive one another. It's making a giant assumption that this is a train wreck and you're going to have to clean it up constantly. It's definitely an assumption of not perfect relationships where two people never hurt each other. The assumption is we hurt each other. The assumption is if you do life the way the Bible talks about and the way I'm calling you to in this book, then you will hurt each other. And it's how do we go forward and how do we realize and recognize that actually, even in the hurt and the mess, it's actually what makes great friendships. Mm. Because the ones that have gone through fights and conflict and come out the other side, you know you can count on that friend. You know you can get through stuff together because you've done it. So I think practicing that and choosing that when it's easier to stay in your robe and watch Netflix is the hard part. Okay, so let's talk about that conflict that's hard. I, Jenny knows this about me, do not enjoy conflict. It is <laughs> actually makes Let's me want to have breakout and hives. <laughs> I do not enjoy conflict. And so it's funny that I kind of landed on this chapter in your book and read it thoroughly, every single word. And you talk about this conflict and you said conflict should make friendships, not break them. And that feels super scary to some people Like conflict in so many people's lives, whether it's how you were brought up or your experiences have led you to believe conflict equals bad conflict equals over. Conflict equals walk away. And you're saying the exact opposite. Talk about when Ashley called you and she wanted to talk to you. Yeah. My sister-in-law reaches out and says, Hey, Jenny, can we hang out for a minute? I want to talk to you about something. And typically what that means is I want to share something with you. I've got something going on. I need you to pray for me. Like, let's go walk and talk and work it out. That's what we do. I get in the car and she goes, this is really hard for me to say, but I feel really hurt by you. And I was like, Whoa, like, (laughs) you know how those moments where your whole body gets prickly and you're just like, You did not see it coming. I couldn't even think of what she meant. I had no category for what it was. And I panicked because she is not only one of my very best friends, but she is a family member. And so I'm just sitting there reeling of like, what if I lost her? Mm -hmm. What if this doesn't work? Like she'll be in my life forever. I have so much fear of letting down people. And so to do that and, you know, for her to have to work up the courage and come to me, it was so sad to me. And so, you know, I listen, I hear everything I hear. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can totally see how you felt that way. It was so hard for me to hear. It was so hard for me, even though it was unintentional, it was real. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard for me to think I hurt this person I love and never would want to hurt. And so afterwards we took a little time and I apologized. She forgave me. We did all the things, you know, you're supposed to do. But what happened in me for the next few times we were together is I just felt scared. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was on eggshells. I felt like I'm going to mess up again. I didn't feel safe. I felt like the bottom could fall out again. And it just made me super guarded. And I did something that I can't believe I did, but I basically said that I basically was like, I'm scared. Like I'm scared. I'm going to mess up again. And I think that's the power of this is to, you ready? This is good. Everybody write it down. Use 
your words. Mm. Use your words. Say what you're afraid to say. Say what you're feeling. Because I got to say that to her, she grabbed me by the arms and she's like, Jenny, I don't want you to be afraid. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to live on eggshells. She was like, I promise if you hurt me again, I'll bring it to you. You know, when I said it out loud, what I realized was she brought it to me. I don't need to live on eggshells. I hurt her and she told me that is a healthy friend. I'm sure there have been times I hurt her and she let it go. She didn't bring me every single thing, but she could let it go, but she couldn't let this one go. And she needed to bring it to me. So I didn't have to live on eggshells. Once I said it out loud and she said, Jenny, I promise you, I will bring you if I'm hurt. And I was like, you know what? You're actually a safer friend. Mm -hmm. Now, even though that was awkward, even though that was hard, you're right. You are a safer friend to me today than you were before this conflict, because I know now you're right. You will bring it to me. Mm -hmm. So I almost immediately after we talked about that felt freedom again in our friendship. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You say conflict is safe when you know you won't quit each other. And I was like, when you have this friendship that's built on something where you're like, we're both committed to each other, then conflict can make you feel safer even. Yeah. And, you know, I think two things. I think one, we live in a very disposable culture. We throw things away every day. Mm-hmm. Like nothing lasts forever. Like there's a sense of, you know, marriage doesn't even last forever in our culture. Like there's not a sense of staying long-term with people. Part of what I did in the book was I looked at history and I looked at other cultures. Most people never move more than 20 miles from where they were born, meaning they have to work it out. Like your neighbors in the same hundred people for the whole of your life. So mm-hmm. you have to work it out or you're miserable. And I would say our culture is not like that. You can throw away a friend and find another one tomorrow. You can quit each other. And so we do. And what we miss in that is the longevity and the safety of 
true, you know, I mean, how long have we been friends? We've been friends a long mm-hmm. time. In fact, I misread a text the other day and I thought Jamie was like dying or something physical, which she's not, by the way, this is not a rumor that I want to start, but I literally was panicked. I, I like immediately, I was like, I can't live in a world without Jamie Ivy. And part of that is we have been friends for a decade at least, and maybe mm-hmm. longer. And that's kind of irreplaceable these days. You can't clock that kind of time, the stories we've been through, the memories we have together, leading if gathering together, Mm. starting the things that you've started and are doing. Like we can't replace all that quickly. And so we've got to be careful to quit friends because they're hard to come by and real ones that last a long time. And so there's a sense of we got to hold on to each other and choose to do the conflict so that we have friends for longer than a year or two years. I love that. And you talk about conflict. I'm going to list the things you said, and then I want to ask you another question. You said healthy conflict assumes the best, keep short accounts, be quick to apologize and aim to be a peacemaker. I mean, that is like marriage 101. That is friendship 101. That is parenting 101. That's probably Jesus follower 101 right there. Well, I think we never got the first grade class. We never learned, right? We, nobody ever set us down and said, here's how you make friends. Here's how you get in a fight. I mean, to some degree with the book, I remember I was reading the audio. Like it's one of the last things you do, you know, it's read the audio book. And so you've gotten a break from it for a little while from editing till when you're reading it. So I'm always nervous because I'm like, gosh, it's about to go in the world. Am I proud of this? Is it helpful? And so I'm reading it and I start giggling and my producer's like, what? And I'm laughing because some parts of it are so basic. I said, I'm reading things that I wrote and I'm like, it sounds so elementary. And she was like, no, Jenny, I'm 60. I didn't know how to do that. We don't know. And so my hope is that it holds your hand and it won't be because you didn't know. Mm -hmm. It won't be because you didn't know what to say or how to apologize. Like I just literally scripted some of the things because I was like, I want you to have the handbook. Like even if it feels fake to do it, you could do it and heal a friendship or a relationship. Yeah. I believe you wrote this all during COVID. I'm right about that, right? All during this pandemic. How do you think that has changed the way you came to this book about finding your people? I mean, I think that COVID has affected us in relationships. It's affected us in communities. How does this feel different now in this time period? Well, it felt desperate before. I felt like this was an urgent topic. This didn't feel like a cute book about friendship. This felt mm-hmm. like we're at war. The enemy hates our friendships. Any health that he sees in relationships, he's after them to kill, steal, and destroy them. It felt like it was important. Now it feels so urgent because we have just taken a dramatic turn into isolation even further. We already were the loneliest generation that has ever lived on earth. That is terrifying. Something's got to change. So I was desperate coming in, but now I'm so feisty and urgent. But what's cool about the timing too, is we're all kind of coming out a little bit. Hopefully for season, we'll get a break after Omicron and we'll get to rebuild our lives and communities. And so my hope is the timing is such that people really rethink the way they do friendship in life, because that's, what's broken fundamentally under the way we live in America and in the West, it's really broken and how people have done it for generations. There wasn't a loneliness problem prior to the industrial revolution. It did not come up in writings and in psychology, the way that it did starting with the industrial revolution. Then you've got the internet that has just caused us to be exhausted and we're so tired. So we can't carry all these people on the Mm -hmm. earth. We can't, we weren't able to do that. So we don't help our neighbor. We try to help the whole planet and we're so exhausted. So I hope it changes the way we live and think and relate because there is a way to do it. That's healthy. I think at some point in the study and the research, I just got so sad and I felt like, gosh, we just live in such a broken time. And it makes me just genuinely sad. Mm. Then I moved to, but we can learn from all that and we can bring these practices into our daily lives. It can be rebuilt and we can make better patterns that are more communal. It's possible. And I've seen it happen. Yeah. 
one of the things I love about you, Jenny, is we're both in our forties and you have a really good pulse on women in our stage of life, what we're doing, but you love ministering to college girls. You love that. You have a daughter in college. You have a daughter still in high school. So you have this influence and care and love in your heart for just so many different stages of women. What do you think the difference is in this finding your people for Kate's age, your daughter who's in college versus us who obviously not everyone in their forties is, you know, parenting for children and doing what we're doing, but we're still 40. We've got, you know, 20 years on Kate. What do you see the difference in the generations dealing with this? Well, if people listening went to college, then you know that it was probably an easier season to find friends. Everybody kind of is the same age. Everybody has a lot in common. I'm watching that to be true for both my high school daughter and my college daughter. And then you get out of college and it is definitely harder. But I think what they do so well is they move in and out of each other's lives. I would say watching my daughter live in college while I wrote this book, she was living a village life, right? They don't lock their doors. They've got people over till midnight. They steal each other's food and clothes. They're living communally in the nature of college. And I think that's actually a great question because I think if you did get to go to college or experience any life like that, maybe you lived overseas in a village, you know, even Europe. I mean, I saw it in Italy. There was a lot of communal living. You'd walk by it. There'd be a table of four guys just sitting outside smoking at three o'clock. You know, I was like, what do you like, how do you get to, <laughs> how do I get your job? What are we doing here? <laughs> but there's such a value of just slower togetherness, even in mm-hmm. Europe. And so you maybe have seen it at some point in your life, but I think that it helps to have some context for it. And so when you think back to college, like that's some of the stuff that's worked for me since I've moved to Dallas, that I have friends that stop by. I have friends that are like, bring me that shirt. Like I want to wear it tonight. I have friends that are specifically one and you know, her, Lindsay, I talk about her a lot in the book because she gets mad at me for this, but I call it a little bit invasive. But it's the best bet. She is so good at this. And what I mean is she just will stop by. She brings her kids. They crawl on me. I love them. They call me Aunt Jenny. I just have gotten to where I realized and saw from her life, the more you push into someone's life, the more that you're in their life. Mm -hmm. You can't expect this just to find you. You've got to be intentional and proactive and not afraid to just show up. In fact, some of my favorite people are the people that just show up. So I think this practice of how they are in college, we shouldn't, you know, implement more of it in our life today. It just takes a little more risk and a little bit more vulnerability to do it and a little more awkwardness. But I think it's such a better way to live. They run errands together. I think we should do that. I think we should grab a friend and go to Costco together and share toilet paper. Like this is how you do it. And I think it's so much more fun. Mm, so much more fun. I love Lindsay and I've gotten to know her as well because she's in our group and I love her. And I love that she is that friend to you as well. I wanted to say this. Why do we hide? Because sometimes people are listening and they're like, man, if someone showed up at my house, I don't think I'm ready for that. That feels invasive the way you describe that friendship. And yet you're loving it. And it's been so fruitful in your life. But I do think for so many women, friendship is scary. And so we hide like shame, fear. What have you seen is the reason that we're hiding? Well, there's several. I mean, I mentioned the culture. I mentioned the enemy. We've got an enemy that hates it. But the main one and the hardest one is that everyone has these stories of friends that have hurt them, of friends that have rejected them, of the friend that quit them. I have these stories. I think it's such a tender subject. I always approach it with people knowing that I'm bringing up something that is so loaded and so difficult for most people. It's embarrassing to say you feel lonely. I can't Mm. believe three and five people said it before the pandemic. So that makes me think the other people were just embarrassed. Like, I think it's a very vulnerable thing to admit that you need someone, that you need anything. 
And so I think there's such a vulnerability to it. And if you're vulnerable, the point of why it's hard to be vulnerable is you risk getting hurt and rejected. So in my mind, what I tell people is if you were going to be rejected four times, but on that fifth try, you are going to encounter a friend that would be your friend for life. And she would be a gift and not perfect. You would conflict. You would still go through things, but she would be there for you for decades. Would you go through the four rejections? And anyone would say yes. So I think the hardest one is just, it's gone poorly for us. We feel like we're not good at it. We feel like we're the ones that are bad at it. It's easier to just watch Netflix and stay in your robe and not risk all of that. But I would just say that's not living. And you know what you're doing? You're watching shows about everybody else's friendship. You're literally watching pretend shows about friendship. Almost every show you probably like is about relationships. And so we're literally trying to fill a, a hole in our heart with fake watching other people be fake friends. I mean, just that mm-hmm. alone, it's not real. Yeah. It's not filling an ache in you. It's scratching yeah. an itch. It's not filling the ache. And so my hope is that people want it bad enough out of COVID, that people want it bad enough, that they feel desperate enough and urgent enough and not just want it, but realize they need it. Mm. This is how we grow. This is how we change. This is how we don't turn out a jerk in 10 years. Because guess who is a jerk? People that are isolated because they don't have to give, they don't have to take, there's no growth in their life. And so we need it. It's not just that we're craving it. We also need it. You talk about that accountability that friendship gives us and of living this accountability. And I think that is something that we've lost. And forgive me if I get this story wrong, but you talk about the man who lived in Kenya and he talked about how he grew up in this village. And even though it was in the slums where there's, you know, millions of people, he had his people and they just did everything together, almost like this college life that you're saying. And we've lost some of that. And that accountability is what's going to keep us from being a jerk. It's going to keep us being effective. It's going to keep us and challenge us to reach higher. And so I think even hearing that about friendships is like, oh, everyone wants that. Like everyone wants to have someone who's going to push them into being a better person. And so try that fifth time. That story, he would be running on the other side of the slum and somebody would be like, I'm going to tell your mother on you. And I'm <laughs> millions of people. And he was like, dang. When I heard that story, I was like, you know, we love to get caught deep down. Like he missed that. And he wanted that Mm -hmm. for his own kids. There's something about being known, even if we're caught, that's comforting. This happens with my kids too, because of who their grandfather is in our neighborhood. He's a head football coach. And so people keep an eye on our kids. And, you know, I've even had strangers like track me down and be like, Hey, I saw one of your kids. They were da da da. And I was like, they know I want to know. And it's just, there's something about that that's actually kind of comforting that we're known enough to be caught. And I think that's part of the problem that we have in our culture right now with the disposable friendships is we never get in deep enough for somebody to really call out what they see. And Mm -hmm. so we don't grow and we're not accountable to anyone or anything. It's a surprising one, but I absolutely saw it. I didn't go in with, these are the patterns I'm going to use. I went in curious and I asked a lot of questions and I interviewed a lot of people from different countries and I looked at history and I looked at the way people lived. And accountability was one you could not deny. Almost every single culture had tribal elders. If they didn't call them that, they were kind of like in the Heights, in Abuela or in Canto. They adopt the city block. They take care Mm -hmm. of everyone there. This is a cultural thing that is true almost everywhere but here. And it's throughout history. We really are craving these Abuelas in our life. People that would say, I got you. I see you. You're not getting away with that. Mm you know? And I think that's what great relationships do. And the point of this book, it isn't necessarily about finding your two to five best friends. It's about building a culture of relationships into your life, a Mm -hmm. village around you of 50 people where you have an abuela, where you have somebody that says, Hey, stop, like quit. You're making poor choices. And they grab you by the collar. 
or you're being selfish. You need to go back to your husband and apologize. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, we need that too. And I think we've gotten wrong about friendship in our culture is we think it's about a few relationships with people that are just like us. That's the thing missing in college that's different about a village. You've got generations of people coming together to take care of each other all their lives. That was what was mm-hmm. true of community throughout history. And we barely have two to three people in our life for a year or two years. Right. Yeah. And so the hope is that people start to see friendship as more than two to three people that are their best friends. Yes, that is part of it, but it is not all of it. And so I've learned to value the five and I've learned to value the 50. And I've learned that the 50 bring the five and that the five might change at different times, that inner circle of my life, but it's okay because I've got a 50 around me, a village. It's not going out and making 50 friends. It's 50 people that you see anyway, that are already in your life. It's your neighbors. Like you have Jamie with your Bible study, it's Mm -hmm. sports teams, the other parents, it's the work that you do. It's everywhere around you. And to see that those people are put there on purpose and that they can play a deeper part in your life. If you stop scrolling and actually talk to them. So good. Jenny, congrats on this book. I highly recommend it. Find your people building deep community in a lonely world. Thanks for being my friend too, Jenny. Next weekend is if gathering. It's here. It's here. What number is this? Eight? Yep. We're at eight. Next year's nine. 2024 is 10. Yep. This is how I can always remember this is because my podcast birthday and if gathering happened the same year. So this, yeah. So that's where we're going here. Can you just tell everyone what's going to be awesome about if this year, because they can still register to watch online. We don't have any tickets in person, but you can log on. You can register all the things. Tell us what's going to be special this year about it. Okay. Well, first of all, it is my favorite content we've ever had. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But some of my favorite parts are things that nobody knows is coming. But you're going to tell it to us? I'll tell y'all. I haven't told any. Good. Is Brooke in the room? Tell Brooke not to listen. Just tell me all the things. I know. It's just one of my favorite things. So anyway, I got to have a conversation and we had to pre-record it so that we could protect our identity. But I got to have a conversation with a woman in Afghanistan right now. She was outside of Afghanistan when it fell to the Taliban. And she said, let me back in. She went back in and decided to stay. When she went back in, people that were in security that knew she was doing it said, if you go back in, we cannot protect you and you will probably die. And she said, let me back in. And she is middle-aged woman and living this unbelievable life in there. So I cannot wait for everybody to hear her story. As you can imagine, she took tremendous risk giving us the interview and we're doing everything we can to protect her because even the next morning, Jamie, and this is a stuff I probably won't say live, but she was texting me things to change and to edit Mm -hmm. so that nobody would know who she was because it probably lost sleep that night, but it is going to change people's lives. Like her faith and the way she views life. I'll never forget it. It was one of the greatest conversations I've ever had. Well, I hear a lot of times people come up to me and talk to me about if, because some people think I work for you guys. I don't know why, but they're like, (laughs) (laughs) so they'll talk to me about if and stuff. And a lot of conversation is from last year about your interview with the pastor. This one is in cahoots with pastor X. Okay. Yeah. And so I think that it is building something up in the North American church. And with these conversations where people are just yearning for more and it's building our faith. I love that you guys are doing that. I'm so glad to be a part of that. You just wrote a book. So I don't know if you're reading right now, but are you reading anything? Uh, Yeah, I am reading several things. I'm actually heading into a Sabbath and sabbatical after I'd say probably May. I'll launch into the longest sabbatical I've had. Is that the whole month of June? No, I usually will take a month, but this is going to be almost three this time. Good for you. I'm taking the whole month of June off. Yes. I mean, are you going to do that regularly every year? No, I don't think so. Well, I'm trying to to practice every year one, but (laughs) I think that probably is a giveaway of how I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> more rest. Um, life is crazy. And I just want to be sure that 
if I'm going to output so much, I have some margin to input. And so I head into that. So I'm reading a book by John Eldridge called Take Back Your Life. That's beside my bed. I'm also reading a book that weirdly, he's one of my favorite authors and I've never read it called The Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer. That's by my bed. Loving that. Yeah. Those are the two that probably I picked up this week. What are you loving? What things are you loving? What's bringing you joy these days? Oh my gosh. I am loving going to dry bar every once in a while. I don't do it often, but when I do, it is like my happiest thing. It's actually like heaven. It is. Is it the yellow? Yeah. Okay. I have the blow dryer from there. The round brush thing. Do you like that? I haven't tried that. I love it. Oh, I love it. I've heard that twice this week. I'm going to have to go get it, but their dry shampoo is so expensive, but nothing else works. I I love it. It smells so good. It's my favorite one. I love it so much too. Well, Jenny Allen, we love you. Thanks for coming back onto the happy hour. You guys check out this book and I'll also put links in the show notes. If anyone wants to watch If Gathering, you still can. I highly recommend it. I'll be there. I'm super excited. Jenny, love you, friend. Love you. See you soon. You guys, I really hope that you can make a plan to join us at If Gathering online. Don't forget it's if2022.com. If you want to see anything from the past, If Gatherings, just go to ifgathering.com. And don't forget, check out this book, Find Your People, Building Deep Community in a Lonely World. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. 